0: Uh, continuing on in um, God's narrative of what he is doing with the early church. And then, um, okay Dan, thanks mate, Uh, To the Ends of the Earth is, is our theme that we've been running through and we'll continue that right till we get to the end of the book of Acts. And our topic for today is Who Am I That I Can Resist? comes out of um, is it verse 17 of Acts who am I that I can resist God who am I Um, most of um, just the map then Uh, yeah so that red blob there uh, that's basically where we've been talking about uh, the places Joppa Caesarea Lydia those places there where the the gospel has been spreading samaria jerusalem and uh, that little green line going down not very professional sorry but uh, the, the green line going down is when, remember when the ethiopian came to know the lord on his way back home god sent philip there and um, so that's the gospel going down into africa so just a, a recap of what we've been going through and thanks dave Durkan. the other day you did a really good recap So I've stole a lot of your stuff here, or borrowed, borrowed a lot of your stuff here to share through. Uh, Acts 1.8, in our recap, um, it said, But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it was very evident as as we're going through the book of Acts, And we've seen what God is doing. The Holy Spirit has come and he's active. It's the new covenant they have been waiting for. God indwelling us. The church is birthed. Peter and the others are preaching. Thousands are saved, baptised by the Holy Spirit. The gospel of Jesus Christ is going out first in Jerusalem with thousands in Jerusalem coming to know the Lord, forming the first body of Christ, the church, The picture we have of the early church is that it's vibrant, spirit-filled community. They're teaching, there's fellowship, there's breaking of bread, having meals together. There's praying. They are even sharing with each other, selling their own um, properties and making sure that everybody has something. There was a demonstration by the body of Christ of great grace, generosity and unity. Uh, The evidence of the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant had come by signs and wonders that were being done. People were healed from diseases. Others were raised from the dead. The blind were seeing for the first time. The apostles were speaking in other languages so the hearers from the other lands could hear the good news of the gospel. But this movement, the way, the Church of Christ, wasn't popular to everybody, was it? The religious leaders, um, the power brokers, if you will, saw it was a dangerous and a threatening sect for them, which led them to killing one of the early church leaders, which was Stephen, as we know. So then the scattering of the church began. Thus God used this tragedy to drive the gospel out of Jerusalem to Samaria, where Philip preached Jesus and sees these unexpected individuals come to know Christ. One of them being the sorcerer from Samaria, who has to learn who learned the way of Jesus. Sorry, who had to learn the way of Jesus isn't about gaining power, but giving it up to serve others. And then we saw the Ethiopian saved by Philip uh, through through uh, Philip's obedience to go and to bring clarity while he was reading the book of Isaiah. And then we went into Acts 9 and heard that God loves doing the impossible. I think Mick was teaching that one. And we are introduced to Saul, a Pharisee, a religious extremist, who led a great persecution of the early church. He ravaged the church, the scripture said, dragging off men and women and putting them into prison. Many giving their lives for the gospel as well. This story takes a very surprising turn then, when Saul is converted on the road to Damascus, and he and all the people starts procl- he of all people starts proclaiming that Jesus is the King. He is the Lord, announcing the good news that he once was condemning. Dramatic conversion, wasn't it? And we see God still doing that today. Uh, This story takes a very surprising turn then when Saul is converted on the road to Damascus and all the people start proclaiming, sorry I just read that, sorry. So we've seen that the gospel is going out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and now we are seeing it go out finally to the ends of the earth. God's story of redemption is bringing us closer to his plan for the Gentiles. And it's where now Peter, a key leader of the fledgling movement, grapples with who is really in God's family. And that's what we touched on last week and we're going to be touching more about that today. Who is part of God's family and how do they become part of it? But Peter also had the privilege as he went to Joppa and he saw God doing the impossible by healing Tabitha. Or Dorcas, as we also know her. And then last week John Coe took us through the remaining verses of Acts 10, taking us back to the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 3. And it says this, and you and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And this is obviously repeated several times in the book of Genesis, and again through God's word. And God is using repetition to make a point. And and then we're doing that today as we go through Acts 11. God is using repetition to make a point, to make us understand what he's trying to communicate to us. Um, yeah, and then it took us through the fulfillment of that seed, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And in the future, as we even go into the book of Revelation, we see that God had the Gentiles in mind right back there in genesis all the way through into the book of uh, revelation god had god had um, the gentiles in mind he had every people every person and when he took the scroll it says in revelation 5 8 to 10 the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one having a harp and they held golden bowls filled with incense which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, and with these you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seal and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood had ransomed people from where? From every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. And you have caused them to become kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on earth forever so it's part of god's plan right back there in genesis when he gave that the blessing to to abraham and we're seeing it it's fulfilled we're seeing it very evident now in the book of acts and then but it's part of god's plan right for the future uh, this verse is also repeated in revelation 7 9 and when you get to chapter 21 of revelation it talks about it again with those that that are saved will be in God's kingdom um, forevermore. Um, John also reminded us that in Leviticus 19, 33 to 34, that God loves foreigners and how that the Israelites were to be a blessing to the foreigners because they were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. And then lastly, he also shared about the story of Cornelius how an angel had come to him and then Peter had a vision and bringing them together and we see Cornelius, a Gentile man, how his and all his household were saved, baptized and saved. And so today we're going to repeat somewhat that story. So there's a bit of a recap, probably nearly all my time gone. But anyway, so um, I'm just going to touch a little bit about, because it came out in the... the, um, in the portion of scripture, about segregation, about even racism, about um, people leaving other cultures out and struggling with them. So I'm, it's not a disclaimer, but it just came out in the scripture. So I mean no offence to anybody as I, as I go, through, go through this. So, but have you ever been excluded? Excluded from events or activities because of your heritage? Have you ever felt like an outsider? Have you ever lived in a different uh, culture or context where you have just struggled to fit in? So for Marie and I, uh, because of the ministries that we've been involved in, the Lord has taken us into situations where we have felt excluded, been excluded, uh, even because of the the colour of our skin or just because we were, we were foreigners. In some social events, people assumed or thought we just wouldn't fit in, so we were not included. Uh, we have been called racist by people, even of a similar uh, skin colour to ourselves. And, now there, uh, I'm, and I'm just saying this, and there's a story behind each one, and I can fill you in um, over a cup of coffee or over a meal. Um, so there, there was the um, yeah. So to be excluded, to be excluded because of race, colour, uh, it can leave deep, deep scars, can't it? It can, if you ever had that experience. And depending on the country where you've lived, sometimes there's just hundreds and hundreds of years of just history there where um, racism or exclusion or segregation has just been a way of life for year after year after year. Um, So, And to get behind what motivates this segregation or this extremism or the racism or the exclusion is such a complex thing. I remember when we were living in South Africa, we... It was just so complex we would just get so overwhelmed uh, with with yeah what was happening there particularly in the early days but I believe um, yeah and then trying to trying to help that probably was a little bit difficult because you're just learning yourself how to fit into that culture and into that context but it was at times it was overwhelming it was frustrating it was exhausting it was a it was um, emotionally draining and the scripture brings this out to today but i believe one of the key ways to break down racial tension other than the gospel of christ is to have a meal together is to have a meal together and this is what peter did when he went into cornelius's house now God took him there. The angel told, he had a vision to go. Cornelius had an angel speak to him. But it was an opportunity to walk into someone else's worldview, into their space, and to see and experience and smell what they do every day. So, as I said, Marie and I struggled with the open racism uh, there when we lived in South Africa. It was a very difficult pill to swallow and it stirred up a lot of emotions and particularly for Maria um, because of what she faced in her upbringing. Uh, her and her brother and her family grew up in a very monocultural uh, town area and so her and her brother, the, they were the only olive skin kids in the school. So um, Aussie kids can be pretty cruel sometimes, can't they? So it stirred up a lot of these emotions there. Anyway, so while we lived there, we said, "Lord, what can we do?" We're just Tony and Maria here, and this is where you've called us. But what can we do to help break down these these barriers that were there, these assumptions? And so we just start inviting people over, and um, just to hang out at our place. And um, over a period of time, we just saw God do some amazing things, breaking down those barriers. It took time. It took effort. It took um, being showing initiative. But it worked. So sharing a meal can break down preconceived assumptions, awkwardness, misunderstandings, misconceptions in relationships, etc. And um, when we um, used to live in Central America and Panama, uh, so we lived in a tight community. Everybody knew everybody. There was only 400 people in that community, spread out a bit. But if you went to visit somebody and you weren't invited in, you know you weren't accepted yet. But when you're accepted, you could go up there. There's sawn-out log stairs, and you're invited into the house and given bananas and a fish to eat. You knew you were in. So that, that way, so when you're invited in for a meal, you knew you were being accepted or beginning to be accepted into the, into the community. So we have found over the years that there's a lot of unnecessary, if I can say ignorance, between people of different cultural heritages. Sadly, this ignorance breeds suspicion, misunderstanding and unnecessary barriers that these are found, founded or are based on false assumption, this ignorance that is out there. So we see today, even in our communities and where we live, we see people from different cultures and we tend to stereotype them. We we tend to say, this is us and this is them. We tend to have us and them mentality sometimes without even really thinking it through. It's just part of our culture that we're being brought up with. So... How can we change our thinking? What's the renewing of the mind that needs to be taking place? So asking ourselves questions. Why did God bring these people to our country where we live? Did they have to flee their country? Did they have to come out of persecution or try to find uh, work? Um, was Was there a war in their land and they had to come out? Did they meet an Aussie, an Aussie, an Aussie went over somewhere, met somebody, fell in love and they came back and got married? Was it a job transfer? Uh, there's many, many things, but how can we see people in a different light? How can we see them as God's people um, that need the Lord? In the book of James, as you know, there's a well-known verse. Uh, it talks about partiality. Uh, In James chapter 2, it says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, Hey, you sit over there in a good place, and say to the poor man, I you to stand over here and sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do not they blaspheme that noble name by which you are called, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty. And this is what, the early church was struggling with they were struggling with partiality because their culture was always segregation 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 and now we know acts is a transitional book isn't it and this is what's happening God is challenging their traditions so for a Jewish person going to eat with a Gentile or vice versa would have been a great opportunity to break down barriers but for a Jew, just coming to the threshold of a home was a big deal. Just coming to the, to the door, to the entrance, was a big deal. Remember Dave Dean had a picture of a pig up there the other day? Um, and that representing an unclean animal to the Jewish person, like for, they would be forbidden to eat it. And then um, it also represented anybody outside of the Jewish culture. To be a Jew, it had to be in your blood. It had to be in your blood. Or you had to be from one of the 12 tribes of Israel. You ever wonder why the genealogies are in the Bible? For the Jew, it's so important that they can trace back their lineage, trace it right back to where they came from, one of the patriarchs or one of the 12 tribes. So important to them. So for Peter to go to Cornelius' house was a big deal. His Jewish culture was so entrenched in him, it surrounded him all his life. His community and families all followed the same traditions. But now God was transitioning him and these Jewish Christians out of a Jewish culture into a Jesus culture. Out of a Jewish culture into a Jesus culture. And it would be rough going for a while. It wasn't going to be an easy transition. And any of us that have been in, in, in any transition, whether it's from moving from Victoria to Newcastle or wherever it's been, a transition is not easy, is it? You've got to build new relationships, friends. There's things that you've got to leave behind. But for the Jewish person here, there's so many things that were they were going to be struggling with. It was going to be rough. And not just for Peter, but for any follower of Jesus who are predominantly Jewish, the early church at this stage. And as we go further along in the book of Acts, and we get to Acts chapter 15, we can see that there's going to be a confrontation between the, the Jewish believers and the, and the Gentile believers. There's going to be a confrontation there. But the outcome is good. The outcome is good, and it will be God-honoring. But they had to bring it to a head. You think it would be sorted out here in the early part of the of the church but no it was still lingering there still the issue still needed to be addressed so that's in acts 11 2 and 3 peter certainly copped it when he went back to jerusalem to inform his colleagues of what god had done so he went back and he's reporting what god had done with cornelius and his household and his obviously very excited what God is doing. The gospel is going out to the Gentiles. And, uh, but the reception wasn't that good. His balloon was popped pretty quick as he, as he reports back. And there must have been a bit of a letdown for him. But nevertheless, Peter, as we know, have pretty broad shoulders from life experiences and he does a sensible thing. God gives him wisdom. He starts from the beginning. He starts the narrative of what happened how God led him how he saw the vision and how he goes to Cornelius's house so Peter recalls the account of the vision to his colleagues and even though they were in disbelief or shock they had uh, that he had gone to the Gentiles in the home and yes the narrative as we know is repeated But again, as I said earlier, repetition is good. There's a lot of repetition in the Bible. God is constantly reminding us of of his promises and his goodness, his grace, the gospel. God is a good, clear communicator. He loves for us, his children, to hear what he has to say, even if it's more than once, twice, or three times or four times. So then in verse 18, as Peter finishes telling the narrative again to his colleagues, to the believers there, it's interesting it says that they all went quiet. A bit like you guys are. You're all quiet. So what was going through their mind? I don't know what that period of time was, but they were quiet. But can you imagine what these Jewish believers must have been initially thinking? What's going to happen to us? Will the Gentiles become God's chosen ones now? Will the gospel now go out through them? Will God now abandon us? Is our identity as Jewish people now in danger? What do we do? But Peter's Jewishness and the other uh, Jewish Christians, their identity has not been taken from them. But God is tweaking it. God is tweaking it, he's helping them to transition out of some of their cultures and traditions that don't lead them into a relationship with Christ. Not all culture and traditions are wrong, but if it's leading us away from our relationship with Christ, there is a danger, and we need to evaluate that. But as we know, the Jews and the uh, the, the Jews followed the law from Moses very, very strictly, the rituals, the rules, the regulations. The practice of segregation was there and God was challenging them. God wanted it to be adjusted. So the challenge for them in Acts 11:17, 17, and I'll paraphrase this, it says, don't resist what God is doing. There is no way to stop it. Don't resist what God is doing because there's no way to stop it. Remember, God has shown the initiative to get the gospel out to the Gentiles. And there's no way it's going to stop. He's going to use his people to get, them, to get the message out there. So don't resist what God is doing. there is no way to stop it. And we know what the purpose of the law was uh, in Galatians uh, chapter three verses 19 to 26. I don't know if, I'll, I won't read it all um, If I got it underlined there? No, I don't. I've just got it underlined here. But anyway. But the law was designed to last only until the coming. And this is what we learnt last week. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. And who was that? Jesus. Promised by God right from the beginning. God gave the law through the angels to Moses who was a mediator between God and people. And if we go down um, verse 22, but the scripture declares that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under the guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. And we know, again, that was through Christ. So then verse 24 says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until that we could be made right with God through faith. And now the way of faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all God's children through faith in Jesus Christ. So what is it that God is wanting to happen through his children? What is it that God is wanting to happen through us? What's the main thing? What's the main thrust that God is showing to us and the early church in the book of Acts? Or he's desiring that his message, the good news, Go to the ends of the earth. That's why we exist as believers. That's why we are here on earth. We are no different than the early church. We are still part of the church. And our role as believers is to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. So, and He is doing it. God is showing the initiative here. And He is doing it by means and ways that seem impossible for man. But through His Spirit, He's making all things possible. And as the apostles and the believers obey God, it's spreading out to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and now to the unknown, to the unknown world, to the ends of the earth. So just like the early church here, we all need change, don't we? Uh, We like our, I don't know if this is a word, but we like our comfortableness. We like to feel comfortable I remember when we were in back in Panama sorry back in Panama again but I was we were laying in a hammock and just having our I think it was our afternoon siesta and I said to Maria I just feel really comfortable here I really love living with the mosquitoes and the sandflies and no we we love the area we love the ministry and that's where God had us but you know it wasn't long after that that God started challenging us to move on Actually, to come back to Australia. I didn't want to come back to Australia. But God was saying, it's time to move on. So we all love our comfortableness, what's familiar to us. We get relaxed in the church that we attend. We make friends. We have our jobs that are secure, not so secure these days. Uh, We get involved in programs. Uh, We serve in the church. And none of this is wrong. It's not wrong to have traditions or, or areas of life. But what about the lost? What about those who have not yet heard the gospel in a neighbours, community, wherever? What if God is asking us to break out of our moulds and to reach people with addictions? Or people coming from the Middle East to, to, to Newcastle? What if God is trying to break us out and put us out of our comfort zone to, to reach those people. Whoever they may be, whoever God is challenging us to be, to be a part of, to reach out to, um, are we willing? Are we willing to get out of, our, out of our comfort zone and obey God? Just like Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, just like Peter going to Cornelius, are we willing to step out of our comfort zone? Folks, I find it very hard. I, I find it very I, We live in Jesmond. And uh, you know, we go to the shops. We're seeing more and more people from—I um, can't say they're all from the Middle East—but more uh, people with with burkas, men with their the hats. I can't think of the name at the moment, but yeah. So, what is God saying to me, Tony? I'm living in that community. What should I be doing? So we need, just like the early church, we need a renewing of our mind daily. And it's what God is asking us to do, maybe to break the mould of our comfortness, or our tradition or our fears or our disobedience. And we all, we all know this verse. And it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, Paul says this to the church in Rome, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will is, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So it's no different than the early church. They were struggling. The renewing of the mind was taking place and we, we are struggling with similar things or different things it's a constant renewing of the mind and it's allowing God to, to change us. Please, God, change us. Okay, and just finishing up here: um, areas to know. Areas to know. It's God's purpose to use us to bring salvation. Uh, We see that through the scriptures, hey? He could use angels, he could use other means, but he's chosen you and I to bring the gospel to others. Uh, Number two, what we need to know, world missions should be part of the blood life of the church. And when I talk about world missions, I'm talking locally and beyond. Missions should be our life. And our local church should match the diversity of, of our community and then lastly here six ways to change us and these are not revolutionary either he can change us when we're walking with him know the old hymn when we walk with the lord in the light of his word Uh, thank you I knew I could rely on you guys (laughs) Still, only if we trust and obey Him. So He can change us when we're walking with Him. He shakes us up through taking us through uncomfortable circumstances. Who likes to feel uncomfortable? No, nobody's putting up their hand. Okay, good on you, Zach. We don't feel, we don't like being put out of our comfort zone, do we? But that's when God can work, when we are uncomfortable. He repeats the lessons we need to learn till we finally get them. And I put it here, well, sometimes we think we get them and then we don't get them. And God has to teach us again. Number four, by appealing to our thinking through the word of truth. And that's the importance of being God's word, isn't it? And knowing God's word. By appealing to our thinking, the renewing of the mind through the word of truth. By getting to see that he is the sovereign Lord. We know it. It's up here. But how do we put that out in our life? God is the Lord of our life. God is the Lord of the church. And he changes us in great ways so that he can use us to save the lost. Six ways God can change us. Let's pray. Our God and Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit which indwells each of us believers. Thank you that you are faithfully working and chipping away in areas in our life, Lord. You're taking us out of our comfort zone and you're putting us into areas, Lord, where it's tough. It could be in our workplace. It could be situations in our family that we're working through and struggling with. But Lord, you see them as areas of growth where our minds can be renewed, where our trust in you grows deeper and deeper and deeper. So I thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we are learning from the book of Acts. I thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us and that every day, Lord, your love and your grace surround us and your mercy. So Lord, go before us, go behind us, go beside us and may we grow in your love and grace more and more this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. If you'd like to check out more of our teachings, please visit ccn.org.au forward slash teachings.